Hello and welcome back to Miss Macintosh, my darling, the paragraph by paragraph commentary section of the podcast taken from what is available um, in a three volume set that I've written called To All My Darlings, volume one, if you're listening, September 8th, 2022, the ebook is free on Kindle. Uh, it's only published through Amazon. Um, I can offer the ebook free every once every quarter. So um, it's either three or four, three or four times a month. I think it's four times a month. So um, if you're looking to get a copy of it and you want to get it for free, that's great. No, no problem. Um, um, the whole goal of this is to spread awareness of the book and the depth and breadth of the book and just how much is in it and what a great novel it is. Um, and so uh, uh, the most I can make it free is um, once every quarter. So if you're listening to this, that should happen September, count out three months. I mean, so check back, check back every quarter, quarter. see if you can pick it up for free or just keep an eye on it or put it on your wish list. Amazon will give you a I think Amazon would give you a notice if something that you put on there is free. I'm not sure, uh, but try that. So chapter 46, there was a couple of things that it just sounded like a very, um, uh, when I went over it, it sounded like a, it sounded like I had a lot of poetry in it. So I did add, um, uh, I am thine, O Lord was by Crosby who was blind. It was, it's a hymn. It's an American hymn taken after, um, they think uh, Hebrews 10.22 is the, was the inspiration for the hymn, I am thine only love, um, oh Lord, so everything, yeah. Anyways, take with it from you will. Like I said, I'm putting this stuff in there because take from it what you will. This book was written 60 years ago. Young had, I believe in mind, she had an incredible knowledge of philosophy, um, the Bible, different places, you know, she lived at the library as well. No, I'm, I'm just saying that she had to have lived at the library. I mean, I, we have the internet now, so no big deal. But back then she would have had to have lived at the library. And then again, she wasn't lived in New York in Greenwich Village. So she could have been at the New York library this, you know, the whole time she was working on this for 18 years. So it led a strong near. Okay. So that one, when it's, it's a cousin Hannah who's dying, who's saying this, I am, I am thine only love. I am thine only love, my dear of dears. Let us draw. And it's, they think the inspiration for the hymn is from Hebrews. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So that seemed to go with that phrase that she was saying. Um, I am not, unless there was like uh, the one, oh, I can't remember everything about it. It's Raleigh's poem as an answer to, who was it? Um, oh gosh, I can't remember. One of them wrote a poem. Raleigh wrote an, a poem, an answer to that poem. William Carlos Williams, I think, wrote an answer to that. And so it's like a, a, a poet's answering this poem. So it's famous for that. So, I mean, that one had a really clear, and it was ocean. With, it was so, like, she, Young really put a clear clue as to what she was referencing. That's the only one I, you know, like, okay, I feel confident about that. There's another one, like plays that she's referencing. There's a couple that I feel really confident about. Um, I didn't put an asterisk by them or, or mark that, 
you know, it's up to you. All you can do is look into it and see how you feel. So there's ones that I think are really confident that I think Young is actually referring to, and you know, Greek philosophers stuff like that that she names my names that she names specifically, of course. And then other things I think she's alluding to, and it's just my best guess. So I thought that had something that that uh, fell into it. I couldn't remember why I was looking up this this. Uh, I think it's because of the steeplejack. So there's a couple things with the steeplejack that answers. Oh, I'm sorry, all of this is from chapter 46. We already talked about it, but I went back and, and worked on it for another hour or so, looking up stuff. So Mr. Spitzer. So there's a couple of things I found um, from that steeplejack who's talking um, about the. Uh, uh, I am no more my lady or my lord, I exist and yet I exist not. For my existence is my death just like yours. I live because I am dead. I am dead because I live. I love because I love not. I love not because I love. I love because I have died. For all who have died I have loved and all who have loved have died. So that kind of uh, thing. So there's two things I pulled out of that. One of them was, I believe, I don't remember why I did this. And it could have been something in chapter 47. I couldn't pull it out and I couldn't remember why I did it. But the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, because sometimes I'll take a phrase and paste it into Google and see what pops up and see if it fits just to, if, on something, on a guess, of something that I'm, it just feels like it should refer to something and I'm taking a guess. And so I can't remember why exactly I looked this up, but when I read that and I read the analysis of that poem by T.S. Eliot, it reminded me of Mr. Spitzer so much. So it's Mr. Spitzer where, so if you like, okay, it's about Prufrock, uh, J. Alfred Prufrock, but let's, let's uh, suppose it's Mr. Spitzer. So he laments his physical and intellectual inertia, the lost opportunities in his life and lack of spiritual progress, and is haunted by reminders of unattained carnal love. With visceral feelings of weariness, regret, embarrassment, longing, emasculation, sexual frustration, and sense of decay, and awareness of mortality. So, I don't know about you, but that sounded like uh, Mr. Spitzer all over. Um, so I know I've said uh, before that Mr. Spitzer's seems also with this uh, awareness of mortality and this, uh, this regret that um, he seems like that his character and what he talks about kind of seems like Hamlet and that it's just like, what if, ha what if, what if Hamlet just went on and on and on about to be or not to be? And that kind of feels like Mr. Spitzer because there's like 200 pages dedicated to it, just him. So that's a lot in the book. Um, I believe it's 200 pages, I'm, I'm saying that, but it could be more or less, I don't know. Um, I haven't gotten that far into actually counting what portion of the book gets what, but I know Mr. Spitzer gets, a, 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 I think, the largest portion. So it seems like that, but then when I read that about uh, the, the, the Eliot poem, famous Eliot poem, I thought, that, that sounds just like Mr. Spitzer too. So I was like, I added that, so I just had to. Okay, so on this other one with a steeplejack and then this, this contradiction. So that led me to this uh, thing called contradiction philosophy. <sighs> Hold on, let me take a drink. And so I was trying to find something because it just seemed like that would reference something. So, uh, contra so okay, contradiction philosophy uh, as an opposition inherently existing within one realm, one unified force or object 
This contradiction is not an objectively impossible thing because these contradicting forces exist in objective reality, not canceling each other out, but actually defining each other's existence. And that seemed to me to fit exactly what was going on here. I'm dead because I live. Both of those things are, are it seems impossible, but this idea of contradiction in philosophy is that the contradiction, the contradicting forces exist in reality, and so they don't cancel each other out. What you're actually doing is defining the existence, which I thought was really, really cool. And then, if you follow contradiction in philosophy, it leads to Hegelianism. So there's a very famous founder of philosophy called Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, and his is the phenomenology of spirit. And according to Hegel, it is the science of the experience of consciousness. And there's a lot in this book about consciousness. So um, there was a Pinkard was able to give a single sentence synopsis of Hegel's phenomenology of spirit because it's very dense work, um, even though it's considered like a founding, founding, founding uh, text of philosophy or Hegel himself is considered a founder of philosophy. Um, um, so you can read that whole sentence. It's, it's very, <laughs> so I put the whole, the, the single sentence synopsis, one, because it matches how Jung was writing. That kind of blew me away. Um, that somebody was, that, that's, it just felt like her writing when, when I read that sentence of this one, the single sentence synopsis, because you know, when you read the book, there's like whole paragraphs that are a single sentence. And so it just felt that way. And then what he was talking about, about consciousness and self-consciousness and um, um, it, it just felt right. And he's saying, and because there's a lot of references to the Bible in here, one part of it is also saying that we need to rethink a Christian view of the nature of religion as a collective reflection of the modern community. It just goes on and on. And on. Anyways, I put it in here as part of the, the stuff that I found out about uh, contra contradiction in philosophy. Have fun with that. It would just sounded. It would just seem to fit. I don't know why. It it just did. So I added it. Um, okay, we are actually starting chapter forty-eight. Sorry for that uh, spinoff, but um, trying to see how long these are. But it seemed really interesting. It seemed seemed to fit, so I added it. Okay, chapter forty-eight is short. Chapter forty-nine. It's still going. And still going. Okay, no, no, no. All right. So, uh, I hate splitting the chapters up because I, if I did one just with 49, it would be fine. So, this might just be a short podcast today, and we'll just do chapter 48. Let's see. And let's see what I find. I might, if I find stuff, I'd have to go back and spend another hour or two looking up stuff. So... I'm not saying I want that to happen this time, but if it does, no biggie. Ah, shoot. Okay, so character list is Joachim Spitzer and Perone Spitzer. Synopsis, Mr. Spitzer contemplates his role in life and how that compares to Perone. Cousin Hannah is mentioned in passing. The biggest clue yet about her secret is revealed to be in 40 trunks. He questions his own existence. Uh, let me put in Mr. Spitzer. So 
kind of going back and forth. Mr. Spitzer questions his own existence and becomes angry when he considers he may not be the light bearer. He wonders about the boundaries between life and death. Chapter 48, paragraph 1. Mr. Spitzer thought he was the last or the first of many messengers. He performed the duties of his office and would have practiced law even if there was no need for the law. A pigeon coat or dove coat is housing for doves or pigeons either freestanding or attached to a house. They used to be an important, okay, is it doves or pigeons? Pigeons? Oh, we're going to get into the pigeons. Um, uh, pigeons used to be an important food source. Even if every possible musical litigation had been settled, if there was neither theme, nor counter-theme, nor counter-counter-theme, nor living counterpart, if every argument had been solved, if love cried not to love when life is over, if every quarrel had been finished like an echo no longer reproducing itself, Mr. Spitzer had noticed missing music notes from his score which left him feeling unfinished. I almost see the meaning of this lost music just when the meaning faded like the music. Perhaps the greatest music was that which had no meaning. There may have been a mistake made by a great engraver that added an extra note to the music when there was not supposed to be a sound. But who should play that note below the threshold of sound or winging far above? Two, Mr. Spitzer had so many papers still to go through and so many boxes, trunks to open in the attic. Many of Cousin Hannah's things were not worth anything. So many trophies of suffrage journeys and wars which were intended to release those in death's realm. Specifically, there were 40 keys with which to open 40 trunks she had brought back from suffrage journeys and voyages. These keys Cousin Hannah had kept with her so no one could open them. Mr. Spitzer had heard them jangle and found them. This is the biggest hint yet as to Cousin Hannah's secret. He wished that there had been a locksmith to open all locks, to turn all keys at once, even to open floodgates. Three, no one had betrayed her secret. Mr. Spitzer thought he might need an arrow instead of a key to reach his dead heart. The night was turning into morning as he sat there. He thought there was nothing sadder than the moon not rising again. This was sadder than the sun not rising. He felt it was sadder to be born after the moon set and to die before the moon arose, and thus one would never know the moon, or would know the moon only as one knew the unknown, before one knew the known, and would known and would know the unknown after one knew not the known. <laughs> God, this all seems like the, the, the unknown knowns. Uh, Mr. Spitzer felt he was a pollinator traveling among the stars. He, he only had matches to light his way, even though he was terrified of catching himself on fire. That is why he preferred watery places in the moon. He had groped his way through darkness as through light, through light as through darkness, scarcely able to tell the difference between them, for perhaps there was no distinction. His dead brother Perone had burned like the brightest star, no light being enough for him. Perone had gone through the door of the sun as Mr. Spitzer had gone through the door of the moon. Nacreous means iridescent. Who should enjoy complete self-consciousness unless he should be dead, and would it then be possible, for did not one die into all things even as one loved? And so was death possible as that which was complete and final and absolute? Paragraph 4. Perone had loved light and fire, and much as if long before his apparent suicide he attempted fate in many ways of which he was unconscious even at his brightest moments, showing that he was capable of killing himself at any moment. 
whereas Mr. Spitzer would kill himself by slow, deliberate intention, the most exquisite. For this reason, he felt that no matter where he went or what he was doing, that nothing could take him totally by surprise. All things which happened happened twice to him, had he not always said, as his death would happen twice, perhaps also his love. Or perhaps his love would be that one continuum, not broken by death's void, being that of which no distinction of content or image could be stated except by reference to something else. Perhaps his love had come not only before but after his death. Mr. Spitzer felt he was living not through all that was possible, but all that was not possible or lost possibilities, under all possible circumstances and some which were impossible. 5. Mr. Spitzer felt all these little deaths which were like love, chances that one lived when one was dead, awakened only when asleep. Chances that one's day that one's day life was less than the night. He wondered if there was a grand chance or no chance. He felt a slow dawning as to his own extinction that it was something always being prepared for, much like something which had already taken place but was only by slow degrees consciously recognized. And perhaps this was another reality. Mr. Spitzer describes this as many variations between lovers, as if one had lived with one's love for years. It was many years before one recognized that long ago his love had died, or that she had betrayed him, loving some other love, an image so like his own, yet stealing in to take his place, or he himself had died as his love did not recognize, or both had died and yet lived on in memory, each assuming that the other was the ghost, or perhaps both recognizing that they were the ghosts, the ghosts of their old loves. He thought there might be a greater knowledge than one enjoyed of one's love, that love so early fading, so brief in time, that it might also be said to be timeless. And so one was loyal to this mistaken love as Mr. Spitzer was, allowing his compassion to extend through all the hazards of disappointment, as if there were no other way. 6. Sometimes Mr. Spitzer the light seemed to point the way which Perone had gone, taking all the charm of life with him. Mr. Spitzer felt he was just rehearsing for the grand exit. He had just arrived, and now must he go. Depart, depart. Ah, but his heart was dead. Sir Henry Morton Stanley was a Welsh-American famous for his exploration of Central Africa and his search for David Livingstone. He claimed to have found and greeted him, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. David Livingstone was an explorer of Africa and one of the most popular British heroes of the Victorian era. 7. Mr. Spitzer got into Cousin Hannah's house, but now didn't know how to get out of her house. He thought the house might be expanding or shrinking. He thought, must the hourglass of his heart be ever reversed, and must he live twice, and if so, must he die twice? 8. Mr. Spitzer wondered who had started all of this creation, and what was different now, even if the differences were slight but inestimable, between what was and what had been before, or was that missing which was perhaps the infinitely small, infinitely divisible, perhaps himself omitted? He could not navigate through the house and mistook between glass and clouds, windows and doors, clouds and glass, doors and windows. He was in a maze where the furniture moved and, the, and doors were locked. This imagery is similar to the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. That's just, um, I'm not saying that they were referencing that. I'm just, I was just saying, just that description reminds me of that, that actual house. Uh, paragraph 9. Mr. Spitzer hoped that an old watchman did not pass by the, and see a light, or Mr. Spitzer walking around the house, and thought a thief had broken into the house. He claims not many people visited the house and that it had been empty for many years. There was nothing to steal inside the house since everything had been taken away. Mr. Spitzer was, Mr. Spitzer was making a last visit to make sure everything was accounted for and nothing was missing. Lock that which he could not open, open that which he could not close, and thus was very busy, certainly no man ever being so busy as he, with his precarious leisure which knew no end since his retirement. 
The only thing left in the house was the water freighted jewel of consciousness burning but one moment before it went out, or burning but one moment after it went out. Yeah, consciousness comes up all the time. So now that I've found that little tidbit that seems to work for from Hegel and contradictory and contradiction and, and philosophy, I'll probably go back and look through consciousness more as a whole, as a running theme through the book. So note to myself to do that. Uh, paragraph 10. Mr. Spitzer thought there was no particular significance as to the sequence of these events, whether the flame burned before or after death, death existing as a matter of definition, not of fact, as if indeed the sequence existed not in relation to time, but was that existing forever in space, like that impossible coherence of past with future, future with past, which was perhaps the secret locked in every heart, like a logic surpassing man's imagination, which was finite. Man could not see his own end, for he passed beyond his end. He thought it was miraculous that consciousness should come before death, and that it should come after death. He thought people may exist in a light that never faded. Through all the vicissitudes of life and death, if this was so, then one would be dead in that unholy light which faded not, for life was the shadow crossing the light. And could there be life without the shadow, even the shadow of death? Consciousness was ever that which was sporadic, fluttering, not constant, even in this life, just as sustained attention was impossible. He thought it was impossible that there should be, unless one was dead, total concentration upon one point, perhaps not even then. If this was so, then how could there be an emotional suffering of death, a connection between life and death, a bridge between two worlds, a looking forward to total extinction, a way of knowing on the other side when this life had gone out? There's just a lot to ponder with him, with Mr. Spitzer. 11. Mr. Spitzer wondered if there was a bridge instead of light. There was only the passage over that bridge, which was not there. He thought only the observer knew when life had faded, and perhaps not even he was sure. He questioned, how could there be correspondence between what one was and was not, one's own undefinable identity, which one would find unchanged and unchanging on the other side, especially if one had not found it on this side? If one suffered transmutations unknown to him, if one knew not what he had been or would become, if one knew not what he not if one knew not who he was or even when he was, or was it always now here? The dark was fading into light with the dawn. He wondered that space was not created for the stars, even though it had many holes that could swallow stars. This may be referring to black holes in space, for these stars were created for space, and the abyss was the creation. The creation was not the stars, the mother of creation was this great abyss. Yeah, the transmutations, I know that's something that fascinated Young because of an essay that she wrote about it, about the death. And so that's a running theme in here too, that, that okay, if you're blind in this life, do you have sight in the, the next life? You know, is there a life afterwards? And if there is a life afterwards, how does God, how does God know to make you whole? How did he know what was missing? And did he give you something? And what did he know you were missing something when you were created? And, and why is that so? And so then he knows what to repair in the afterlife. I mean, all of that is, is her, all of that is being questioned. 12. Mr. Spitzer thought there were arguments for both sides, even though he did not pick one because he thought of himself as an old bookkeeper, keeping books in a dream, entering figures in the wrong column, yet still expecting to strike a balance. He identified with this image so strongly that he cried whenever he heard that a bookkeeper had died. He thought there was a balance, a communication between life and death not generally understood, certainly not by those who were the living, for they were dead, even though they might, like Mr. Spitzer's hypothesis, even though they might, like Mr. Spitzer's hypothesis, believe that they still lived. 
When had life been? Were there but two terminal points with no winding road between, no journey between here and there in this world? And was one always at the beginning, ending? Was there no straight road? Even though Perone died first, Mr. Spitzer felt that he had died, especially when he heard Perone's whistle. 13. Mr. Spitzer wondered, was he who was the lamplighter also he who put out the light? Or were they two different men? Perone had died in the morning of, this, of his life, as Mr. Spitzer had lived until the evening. Or was it the other way around? Mr. Spitzer thought he had not survived the darkness. He thought this life was a long rehearsal of music for the silence, that which could surely not answer or reproach. Or were he and his brother one in the same as he sometimes dreamed, though recognizing that this might be his own extinction? Mr. Spitzer thought that instead of the municipal watchman who passed by as the lights went out, maybe it was the old lamplighter with his trembling ladder of dreams, or the ferryman who ferried the souls of the dead, except for his. This realization made Mr. Spitzer furious. Perhaps when his own light had already gone out, was put out by the great candle snuffer, Mr. Spitzer wondered who had taken his place. And was he not himself the lamplighter in the light, the ladder in the star? that it was he who moved upon those lonely rounds where a living man had never gone before and none would follow him. He was the one who knew every detail, no matter how small or large, the forms of a divine nature, he who had plummeted the depths of this dead dream, so that he had felt envy as if someone were taking something away from him, though what he did not know. And how dare another take his place, Mr. Spitzer wondered. Maybe he couldn't see his own light. Maybe he couldn't see his own light because it was so bright. 14. Mr. Spitzer thought that his light obliterated him and he was jealous of those who knew, if not what they were or who they were, at least what their professions were. The law firm Mr. Spitzer works for is named Blackstone and he often isn't sure he is a lawyer there, for certainly his eyes could not read the faded print just as he could not understand the laws of every country or the laws beyond the frontiers of this life or laws of undiscovered countries such as that to which the old suffragette had sailed. He could understand the laws of his own secret borough made almost public by its immensity reaching on and on far beyond the pavement, for he had passed beyond where the pavement ends. He did not even feel he was a silent musician, and he was in complete darkness with no sound on a dead star. He was not the light giver that he thought he was. Lucifer is also known as the Lightbringer. In Roman mythology, he was associated with the planet Venus and personified the dawn. When he was absorbed in Christian mythology, he became a devil in hell, and Satan was his vassal on earth. Oh, I'm getting a package. Okay, uh, take a short break while I get a package. Blackstone. I'm going to have to look up Blackstone because I believe that was like famous for
Yeah, William Blackstone. I think I might have looked it up before. I'll add it. So, um, yeah, the importance of Blackstone is that Sir William Blackstone wrote the Commentaries on the Laws of England. It was an influential 18th century treatise on the common law of England. Um, so it's a leading work. It's considered a leading work on the development of English law. Nice. Okay. So I will add that. Okay, so we're talking about Lucifer. He's also known as the Lightbringer in Roman mythology. He was associated with the planet Venus and personified the dawn. When he was absorbed into Christian mythology, he became a devil in hell and Satan was his vassal on earth. Mr. Spitzer considers himself the inadvertent gambler, not he who had lost for her had he not taken in an odd way his chance on life. Had he not lived, had he not also won perhaps greater stakes than known on earth. He thinks he is the shadow and the star. Okay, and then I'll add... Blackstone. I think it's mentioned one other time and, and I added it there, but this set. I will do so again. Okay. 15. Mr. Spitzer describes life as henbane, a coarse and poisonous Eurasian plant of the nightshade family with sticky, hairy leaves and an unpleasant smell. He compared himself to a stowaway no one knew was there when the ship sank. Mr. Spitzer thought he was a portmanteau. Mon personality carrying oh, I was busy today Pormentu or Pormento I'm not sure uh, personality carrying another soul within his soul or had he lost his soul Pormentu is a large trunk or suitcase or a, or a word blending the sounds and combining the meanings of two others soul within his soul, or had he lost his soul? I'll look up something about souls. He thought it was better to be a small, neutral country and to live beyond victory or defeat. Mr. Spitzer thought that he could act as if only by losing life did one win life, eternal life, perhaps only for a moment more. But if always for a moment more, then never ending. Perona's dead brother had never seemed as happy as when he had lost. He sorrowed when he won. Mr. Spitzer thought that an ever-ending was, of course, Mr. Spitzer thought the ever-ending was, of course, the never-ending. Oh, that's good. Okay, Mr. Spitzer thought the ever-ending was, of course, the never-ending. The appearances were deceiving, and that his attitude of well-being was not necessarily founded upon the truth. Mr. Spitzer thought he had won or lost, had lost through never winning, or had won through never losing. For if all was chance, then why take a chance? Last paragraph, 16. Mr. Spitzer noticed he lost a silver button on his coat and another one was loose and he was afraid his suit was like the ones corpses wore that had no backs. He compared his clothes to rags and dead psyches. Few would ever see him as he was. His apparition frightened him. Perhaps he had passed through a keyhole. Perhaps he was translated. The dog star is Sirius in the constellation Canis Major, the, ma the greater dog. He didn't know anything about the boundaries between life and death, death and life. The future and the past were problematic. If he was dead, then he could travel through time, or lived by moving not, by standing still as the boundary lines moved in the rushing, ebbing tide. I lived by moving not, by standing still on the boundary tide. 
hot. What is it? So I now I want to find out if that's true. If the suits on corpses don't have any backs. Oh, I gotta look that up now. <sighs> See, this, the internet is great. Dress for a few Nope, can't find anything. Okay, so I won't go into that more, but oh, I hate to see what my Google uh, search is going to be. All right, so we got a short one today. Um, uh, chapter 49 is long, so that will take a good 45 minutes to an hour. All right, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Bye.